6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 2 Chronicles, chapters 17 through 23. After this, did Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, join himself with Ahaziah, the king of Israel, who did very wickedly. And he joined himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezengeber. And Eliezer, the son of Dodavah of Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because thou hast joined thyself with Ahaziah, the Lord hath broken thy works, and the ships were broken, that they were not able to go to Tarshish. So he did a lot of things right, but he also got in some commercial ventures with someone he shouldn't have been, Ahaziah. There's a number of Ahaziahs. There's about seven or eight of them, so don't get confused. This this Ahaziah is the king up north, and he shouldn't have been doing that, and they lost. So he died after 25 years, being 60 years of age. He was buried in a magnificent manner because he had imitated the actions of David. And he had this testimony in, in Chronicles that he sought the Lord with all his heart. He may not have accomplished everything, made some mistakes, but he sought the Lord with all his heart. The kingdom of Judah was never more prosperous than under his reign. That's, that's quite a statement. The kingdom was left to Jehoram, which was inaugurated at the beginning of his reign by causing the massacre. The first thing Jehoram, his son, takes over when he dies, first thing he does is slaughters all his brothers. So this has been good news. We're going to see a little shift of gears here as we get into a couple of chapters more here. Now Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his stead. Okay. And he had brethren, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jael, Zechariah, and Azariah, and Michael, and Jephthah. All these were sons of Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel. Their father gave them great gifts of silver and gold and precious things and fenced cities in Judah. But the kingdom he gave Jehoram because he was the firstborn. So he was, the others got treated very richly, but the firstborn got the throne. Now when Joram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself. He slew all his brethren with the sword and divers also of the princes of Israel. So he knocked off all possible rivals. Joram was 30 and 2 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 8 years in Jerusalem. And I suspect those were very long years for Jerusalem. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab. For he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Howbeit the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he'd made with David, and as he promised to give light to him and to his sons forever. So in other words, this guy's bad news, but God can't wipe him out because of his commitment to David. So the southern kingdom has some dismal characters, and this is one of them. There's some really rough, rougher ones coming, but in any case. In his days, the Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. And uh, see, uh, even since the time of David and Solomon, the, both Israel and Judah had uh, certain provinces, including Edom. 
that owed them, you know, that they gave them tribute. And, um, and um, Moab finally resulted, re revolted from the northern kingdom's uh, dominance. Uh, and uh, uh, so this doesn't get into a lot of the politics. You want to get into that, you get into first, second kings, we'll deal with it. But anyway, the Edomites are revolting from under the dominion of Judah now, made themselves a king. And Jehoram went forth with his princes and all his chariots with him, and he rose up by night, smote the Edomites, which had compassed him in, and the captains of the chariots. So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. The same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand, because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. So his resources are starting to fractionate here. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah. Bad news. He's installing idol worship here. And he caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and compelled Judah thereto. There came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet. Now many people miss this, but this writing, first of all, this is the only occasion we know of that Elijah wrote a message. But what's really bizarre is he had already been translated, and this message was written before he was translated. Everybody misses that. There's a timing issue here. There came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa the king of Judah, but hast walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring, like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods. This comes from Elijah. Interesting. Really nailing this guy. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels, until thy bowels shall fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Joram the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians that were near the Ethiopians. And they came up unto Judah and break into it and carried away all the substance that was found in the king's house and his sons also and his wives. So there was never a son left him save Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. And after all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease." And it came to pass that in the process of time, at the end of two years, his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness, so that he died of sore diseases, and his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. In other words, there's no celebration when he died. Boy. Thirty-two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. Albeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchres of the kings. Now we get to a good dismal end to all of this. <laughs> and the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his stead. For the band of men that came up with the Arabians to the camp had slain all the eldest. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, the king of Judah, reigned. Forty and two years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign. And that's regarded by many as a copyist there. He's probably more like, there's other reasons to believe he was 22. But no, look. his mother's name also was Athaliah, the daughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. For his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. 
You understand where his mother came from. Her, her mother was Jezebel. So she was trained in sinister behavior of all kinds. And uh, it's hard to get into this without really recounting the, you know, the, the strange ways of Jezebel, but, and which you do need to know if you're going to understand the book of Revelation and the, the letter to Thyatira and all of that. But in any case, here's, here's her, her uh, trainee, Athaliah. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to Wickley. She really ran things. Wherefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab. For they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. Pretty straightforward. He walked also after their counsel and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, the king of Israel, to war against Hazael, the king of Assyria, at Ramoth Gilead. And the Syrians smote Joram. And he returned to be healed in Jezreel because of the wounds which were given him at Ramah when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. And Azariah, the son of Jehoram, the king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab, at Jezreel because he was sick. And the destruction of Ahaziah was of God by coming to Joram. For when he was come, he went out with Joram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. When it came to pass that when Jehu was executing judgment upon the house of Ahab and found the princes of Judah and the sons of the brethren of Ahaziah that ministered unto Ziah, he slew them. Jehu didn't mess around. It's kind of interesting because Jehu's mission was against the north and here's the guy from the south imitating the north and he gets their deserts. The prophet of Elijah dealt primarily with the north up there with Ahab and Jezebel and all of that. But it's almost like a detour of him dealing with Ahaziah. And uh, interesting. It's, uh, and he sought Ahaziah and they caught him for he was hid in Samaria and they brought him to Jehu, and when, he had, when they had slain him, they buried him, because, said they, he is the son of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all his heart. So the house of Ahaziah had no power to keep still the kingdom. So they've killed him. Who's going to be running things? Make a guess. His mother. Okay? But when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead... She arose and destroyed all the seed royal of the house of Judah. Her son was dead. She slaughtered them all. That's the general statement. Now, we get used to this in the Bible. That's a statement that's not quite true. She slaughtered all the royal seed of the house, with the exception of the sentence that follows. If that was true, there would be no Messiah there would be no salvation for our sins. All through the Bible, you, you need to be sensitive to how the God is guarding the Messianic line. That's the real story behind Tamar in Genesis 38. That's all these strange stories. The Spirit of God is praying. This is what she tried to do. She tried to destroy all the seed royal of the house of Judah, and we can't stop there. I'm always reminded of, of a mighty fortress is our God. If you sing that, that hymn, make sure you don't stop at the first verse, which says uh, of Satan that no one has his equal. You don't stop there. You've got to get the rest of the verse. Same. You don't stop here. You get the next verse because there's an exception. But Yehoshabiath, the daughter of the king, in other words, she's a sister to the guy that died, 
took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, she, he's an infant, you realize, and stole him from among the king's son that were slain, and put him and his nurse in a bedchamber. Jehoshaphat, the daughter of the king Jehoram, and the wife of Jehoiada the priest, for she was a sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah, so that she slew him not. She thought she got them all. There's one baby that she missed. How important that's going to be. See, this, I, might, I want you to get used to the style of communication here, because it's all through the Bible that way. We saw it here that she slayed all the sons, but then it explains an exception. Same thing happens in Revelation chapter 5. When, uh, see, the lamb uh, you know, that had, uh, was given the book was sealed with seven seals. It says that no man was found worthy to open the book to loose the seals thereof. And, and, uh, and, John, and John sobs convulsively because he understands the implications. Then an elder says, hey, see thou do it not. Behold, the lie of the tribe of Judah hath proved. There is an exception is the point. The generality thing is terrifying. There's an exception that, that is then presented. And uh, same, same approach here. And, uh, okay. And so, he, uh, and he was with them, that is a child, was with them, hid in the house of God six years. Athaliah reigned over the land. And I'll bet you that was a long six years for the land. So we get to the wrap-up here for this setup. And in the seventh year, Jehoiada, that's a priest, strengthened himself and took the captains of the hundreds, Azariah the son of Jehoram, and Ishmael the son of Jehonanan, and Azariah the son of Obed, and Messiah the son of Adaiah, and Elishaphat the son of Zikri, into covenant with him. These guys were meeting in secret. Uh, Jehoiada the priest, is, is, he's the husband of Hosheba, he's going to make his move now. By the time this is written, it's history so they can identify them. At the time, this was a highly secreted cabal that's organized here to, to do what we'd call a coup, de, a, 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 a coup. And they went about in Judah and gathered the Levites out of all the cities of Judah and the chief of the fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. And all the congregation made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said unto them, Behold, the king's son shall reign, as the Lord hath said, of the sons of David. This is the thing that ye shall do. A third part of you, entering on the Sabbath of the priests and of the Levites, shall be porters of the doors. See, only the priests and the Levites could enter the house of God. And so they're going to take advantage of that by sealing it off so that no one can mess up their plans here. And a third part shall be at the king's house, and a third part at the gate of the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. Let none come into the house of the Lord, save the priests, and they that minister the Levites. They shall go in, for they are holy. But all the people shall keep the watch of the Lord. And the Levites shall compass the king round about, every man with his weapons in his hand. And whosoever else cometh into the house, he shall be put into, unto death. But be ye with the king when he cometh in, and when he goeth out. So they're really guarding this kid, because a lot depends on this. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all the things that Jehoiada the priest had commanded. 
and took every man his men that were to come in on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, um, with them that were to go out on the Sabbath. For Jehoiada the priest dismissed not the courses. See, they normally change every Shabbat, but they're doubling up here to get strong. Moreover, Jehoiada the priest delivered to the captains of the hundreds spears and bucklers and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of God. And he set all the people, every man having his weapon in his hand, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along by the altar and the temple, by the king round about. Then they brought out the king's son and put upon him the crown. This is a kid that's six, seven years old, right? Gave him testimony, in other words, the law, and that would be Deuteronomy 17, 18, 19, 20 is the core part of this. That's the protocol required that would be anointing him as king. Gave him the testimony and made him king. And Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, God save the king. This is, this is drama. This is drama. Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came unglued. No, no, no. And she came to the people into the house of the Lord. And she looked. And, <laughs> and behold, the king stood at his pillar at the entering inn, and the princes and the trumpets by the king. And all the people of the land rejoiced and sounded with trumpets, also the singers with instruments of music, such as taught to sing praise. <laughs> and Athaliah rent her clothes and said, Treason! Treason! <laughs> Got that backwards. She's treason. But anyway, Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of the hundreds that were set over the host and said unto them, Have her forth of the ranges, and whoso followeth her, let him be slain with the sword. For the priest said, Slay her not in the house of the Lord. They're going to let her get outside the house of the Lord so they can kill her without criticism. So they laid hands on her, and when she was come, in, come to the entering of the horse gate by the king's house, they slew her there. <laughs> Jehoiada made a covenant between him and between all the people and between the king that they should be the Lord's people. Then all the people went to the house of Baal, break it down, break his altars and his images in pieces, and slew Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. You realize she had really instituted Baal worship all through. The, they, this is just the beginning. But they have their hands full to, to, to make it clear where they stand. And Joanna anointed the offices of the house of the Lord by the hand of the priests, the Levites, whom David had distributed in the house of the Lord to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord, as is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing, as it was ordained by David. And he set the porters at the gates of the house of the Lord, that none which was unclean in anything should enter in. And he took the captains of the hundreds and the nobles and the governors of the people and all the people of the land and brought down the king from the house of the Lord. And they came through the high gate unto the king's house and set the king upon the throne of the kingdom. And all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was quiet after they had slain Athaliah with the sword. They're excited because the line of David is preserved. God's commitment to them on behalf of David is now protected. They've, they've made some very, very important moves, very exciting moves, rid themselves of this dark, dark situation. Okay, so here we are. Next time, we'll take another group, Joash, Amaziah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz,
Those guys are not necessarily pretty good guys, but Hezekiah is not only good, but very, very colorful things occur with Hezekiah. And it's going to be important that we start to pick up on this, because after Hezekiah, Manasseh is going to be the worst news of all, and Manasseh is going to hold the key to some speculations I want to show, share with you when we get there. It's very important you understand the relationship between Manasseh and Josiah, because that's going to give you an insight of a possibility about the Ark of the Covenant that escapes most scholars. And then uh, the final session will include when we get to the last four in chapter 36. That's the fall. That's when, that's when Nebuchadnezzar, God uses the Babylonians to bring judgment. He takes the southern kingdom into captivity, but the good news is for a definitive period of time, for 70 years, they will return. They go in that captivity as a judgment, but armed with the promise that God will deliver them. And so that will conclude the, uh, the, the whole uh, the, the Second Chronicles when we get there. But between uh, the, the climax, if I can call it that, uh, I want to, we'll see, I want to see if we can, we'll, I'll, I'll try to budget, see how much time we have to redevelop some of those issues when we get there. But we really have uh, uh, four sessions left. Let's, we'll do what we can. So let's stand for a closing word of prayer. One of the things that um, we haven't taken the time to really exhaust, I guess because I feel most of these lessons are pretty self-evident, and that may be a mistake. Clearly, each one of these kings holds lessons for each one of us. Paul tells us that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So we need to realize what wins. And clearly what wins is relying on the Lord, not relying. That doesn't mean we should be negligent of those things that we need to do. Scripture tells us that we should know the state of our flocks and so forth. We need to be diligent stewards. But at the same time, our help, our reliance is on God. And that's one of the things that Israel needs to yet learn. They still are on the one, they're, they're proud of their military. The setbacks they've had recently may be very constructive for them to be self-critical and to repair. But the real problem in Israel is that they need to trust the God of Israel. And uh, one of the things we need to do in our lives is, on a, and, and this isn't a come down the trail, make a commitment kind of thing. No, 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 it's not that easy. It's a moment-by-moment -moment commitment. Moment-by-moment. -moment. As, as, as Paul emphasizes, taking every thought captive. And walking, you walk with someone step at a time. And uh, that's exactly what we are called to do. That's what they were called to do. And when they did, they prospered. When they failed to do that, they would get clobbered. And that pattern is repeated over and over and over again. In fact, as you go through these histories, you stand back stunned. Don't they ever learn? And um, uh, I remember some reactions of some people when they, years ago when they first saw the Ten Commandment movie. They were stunned after all those miracles, all those dramatic miracles. They still fell and stumbled. You know, they, they, they were ready to join Dathan and all. You know, you know the story. Well, uh, what's so funny, that's exactly where we are. We've seen far more miracles than they have. And still, we fail to really rely, trust wholeheartedly the God we worship. So as we go through these things, uh, we don't want to take time to, to, to beat each one to death, so to speak, in terms of 
a sermon material, so to speak, but each one of these should be instructing us in terms of that basic theme. Knowing the Word of God, calling ourselves to separation, and walking by faith. The just shall live by faith. That's the watch. So let's stand for, let's, for a word of prayer. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we just thank you for your Word. We thank you for these examples. We pray, Father, that through your Holy Spirit that you would speak to each of us. We pray, Father, that your purpose would be accomplished in each of our lives, that we might be reignited in a serious commitment to pursue the knowledge of the Word of God. We thank you, Father, for the devotional use of your Word, but we also seek, Father, the serious, systematic, expositional study of your Word as the lasting truth to guide our lives. We pray, Father, you'd reignite in each of us a new hunger for that word. Father, we pray that you'd also give us the resolve, the strength, the fortitude to separate ourselves from the baggage that we should. We pray, Father, that we might walk in such a way that people will know we're called by your name. And Father, we do pray that you would instruct us on how we should live by faith. As we commit ourselves into your hands with all the fervor of your great ones, we pray that we, would, we too would be committed without reservation with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind. Into your hands. In the name of Yeshua, we thank you, Father, for protecting that messianic line that we indeed might have life through him. In whose name we do pray. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 2 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music